On May 2nd, 1969, a desperate bid by a young couple to avoid arrest would lead to one of the longest police chases in history, spanning six hours and nearly 300 miles of Texas countryside. The events were adapted for the big screen by legendary filmmaker Steven Spielberg in his full-length feature film debut, 1974's The Sugarland Express. This is based on a true crime. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies. And welcome to episode number whatever it is of Based on a True Crime. Ah, I can't remember. Yeah, I was like, oh, hey, I love horror movies. Maybe I should, like, when we don't do a horror movie, I should be like, I'm David, and I like, insert genre movies. Well, you could honestly say, I'm David, and I like Steven Spielberg movies, because that's uh, why you picked the movie this week. Oh, that's yes. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into it, I wanted to have a quick shout out. So the promos that you're going to be hearing at the end of our episode this week, so be sure uh, to, to stay tuned for that. It's for Mens Rea podcast, and this is hosted by Sinead. She is Irish and has an amazing accent, and she actually covers crimes that take place um, in that region so ireland and the uk and the other podcast is dark poutine which is hosted by mike and if the name doesn't give it away he is canadian and he focuses on canadian true crime stories and creepy stories in the area so some nice regional podcasts for you guys to check them out oh right on yeah and you'll have a little bit of a, a break to go do that because we're taking a few weeks off we're going to be back for our one year anniversary week the week of the 21st and we'll have uh some surprises we got some stuff up our sleeves we do yeah. yeah so we have some new reviews and just wanted to give all of you a shout out we have mark from not perfect or functional we have whining about crime and we have nikki thatcher so thank you all for the reviews yes thank you so much we're up to more than 110 now so it's it's very exciting for us right on still not satisfied so keep them coming yes that yes. helps uh, raise our visibility on the podcatchers so please and do. it makes me happy when they're good reviews you can even review us on facebook on our page yes that's always so much fun and while you're on facebook you should definitely join our cult cult of based on a true crime so we're uh we we've been chatting for the last couple of days all about them catching the golden state killer slash yeah. east area rapist slash yep. original night stalker it's just i cannot stop reading about it it's been intense uh, hopefully you guys are all listening to criminology if not go check them out they're in the middle of doing a season on this case so just for it to be solved in the middle of it i think everyone's shocked and everyone's minds are blown it's something else. It's We are living through history right now. But anyway, correct guesses for our, our little old case we're covering this week. On Instagram, we have Maya Emily, who was able to guess the movie, and Bisma Ha Ha Ha, who got the <laughs> case. Of course, on Twitter, we have Chippy TFT, who said she's getting a bit competitive about this, which I love it. So that's great. If anyone wants to give her a challenge, uh, our Twitter is at True Crime Based. And then on Facebook, Amanda got it. She's also a member of our cult. So hi, Amanda. Hello. So without further ado, why don't we get into our episode? It's going to be a bit short this week because, at least for my research, there's not much available. This is the first case I've come across where it's it's been pretty hard digging for information, but uh, but I'm happy with what I got. So Cool. Yeah, let's dig in. It was around 2 a.m. on May 2nd, 1969, when a police officer in Port Arthur, Texas, noted a car speeding on Highway 73 with its brights on. The officer turned on his lights, signaling for the car to pull over and stop. But the car didn't pull over. It sped away. The officer gave chase. Ooh, this could yes. be exciting. <laughs> well, the car was driven by 22-year-old Robert Samuel Bobby Dent. His wife of one year, 21-year-old Ela Faye Dent, was a passenger in the vehicle. Bobby had been released from prison on parole just two weeks earlier after serving a sentence for breaking into coin-operated vending machines. It was his second arrest for the same charge. He was convicted once in 1964 and then again in 1966, and he served sentences in Texas and Louisiana prisons. 
What do you think he was robbing from those vending machines, David? Was Ooh. it peanut M&Ms? Oh, it I'd might do have been. it for peanut M&Ms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe some, uh, I don't know, Nestle's Crunch Bars. I don't think I've ever seen those in a vending machine. Mm. Maybe they're always sold out. Maybe I'm dreaming of it. They're maybe. so delicious. That's yeah, probably Kit Kats. Yeah. Well, although whatever violation he may have committed while driving was minor, he didn't really feel like interacting with police, so he decided to flee. I mean, who wants to really? <laughs> yeah. But it also probably didn't help any that Bobby was armed. Um, uh-huh. So the pair decided to make a run for it. Unfortunately for them, their car broke down just a few minutes into the car chase. Uh, near Anawak, Texas, uh, with the pursuing car just seconds behind them. So they jumped out of the vehicle and they fled on foot into the nearby woods, as you do. Uh, They made their way north, eventually coming upon a ranch house near Finette. Knowing they wouldn't make it much farther without a vehicle, Bobby came up with uh, an idea. (laughs) Probably not a great idea, but an idea. So he decided that all they needed to do to get a ride was to call the cops. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. As you do. Yep. So Bobby and Ela Fay told the owner of the house that they had been beaten by hitchhikers who stole their car. They asked the rancher to call the cops for a ride to the hospital. The dispatcher sent a Texas Department of Public Safety trooper, James Kenneth Crone, who arrived at the house at 6 that morning. The pair were waiting in the kitchen, and when Officer Crone entered, Bobby drew his pistol and disarmed the officer. They took his 357 caliber Magnum and forced him at gunpoint back into his patrol car. Bobby sat in the front passenger seat, keeping the Magnum pointed at Officer Crone's ribs, while Ela Faye sat in the back with the officer's shotgun pointed at his neck. Bobby told the officer to drive, but he had no destination in mind or any plan beyond getting access to this car. If he had thought things through, he may have realized the attention which would be garnered by an officer under duress being forced at gunpoint to drive aimlessly down an extremely busy highway. I don't understand why they wouldn't just take the car and leave the officer because I don't think it really gained them any time by having him be like in the car with them versus him maybe like calling the cops and letting them know. Yeah, it seems like the worst possible hostage you could take would be a police officer, especially one that's in control of the police cruiser. Yeah. Well, the trio began to travel west towards Houston, and almost immediately the situation was sussed out by authorities. Thus began one of the craziest long-distance police chases in U.S. history. In the end, more than 150 vehicles were part of the caravan following Officer Crone and the Dents, including police and deputy sheriffs from several counties, highway patrol, an ambulance, and of course, news media vans. Caravan speeds at times exceeded 95 miles per hour, but much of the distance was covered at low speeds. Describing the ordeal, Crone said, quote, They treated me okay until the cars started closing in on us. Then they threatened to shoot me. I feel like just holding a gun to his neck is a threat. Does yeah. Does I really have to say it? Yeah. yeah. It's implied. I would have peed my pants for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the chase lasted nearly six hours and spanned nearly 300 miles. <laughs> Due to the two-way radio communication in Officer Crone's vehicle, the dens were placed in constant contact with DPS Captain Jerry Miller. His role throughout the chase was essentially being a hostage negotiator, attempting to keep Bobby calm and to protect the life of Officer Crone. So you'll see he has a pretty clear corollary in the movie that we'll be talking about. I really liked his character. Well, Captain Miller told Bobby repeatedly that he was being foolish and to pull over but bobby responded by saying he didn't want to go back to jail captain miller also tried to get bobby to let ila fay go from the car but bobby insisted that she didn't want to leave him in order to build trust with bobby captain miller even allowed them to stop for gas twice over the course of the chase they used the restroom and bought snacks during these breaks while their caravan of followers waited at a distance for them to get back on the road how nice Yep. So after stopping for gas a second time, Bobby finally seemed to have decided what he wanted. He requested that Captain Miller let the pair visit Ela Faye's children to tell them that they love them because he felt that he and Ela Faye would never get to see them again. So Ela Faye had two children, a two-year-old son and a one-year-old daughter from a previous marriage, and they were staying with her parents near Wheelock, Texas. Miller agreed, and he even promised to give the pair a 15-minute head start from police pursuit if they let Officer Crone go unharmed. And Bobby promised to keep up his end of this bargain. 
the car with Bobby, Elifay, and Officer Crone pulled up to Elifay's parents' house at nearly 12 p.m. As he agreed over the radio, Captain Miller stopped the caravan one mile up the road from the house. They walked up the stairs to the front entrance with Officer Crone in handcuffs in the lead, followed by Bobby with the shotgun and Elifay with the magnum. As Officer Crone's eyes adjusted to the dim light inside, he spotted three law enforcement officers. One of them motioned for Crone to get out of the way, and he did. Inside the house, Robertson County Sheriff E.P. Sonny Elliott, Hearn, Texas Police Chief Bob Perkins, and FBI agent Bob Wyatt were waiting. The men fired, hitting Bobby in the face, neck, and right arm. He died an hour and a half later at a nearby hospital. Elliot later said, quote, I knew it wouldn't do any good to say anything. It was too late to negotiate. Elifay immediately dropped her weapon when Elliot told her to surrender. Speaking about his ordeal as a hostage, Officer Crone said, quote, I don't understand why they were so desperate. He said that the two said that they had nothing to live for and both agreed that they would not be taken alive. Crone said that although the experience was not good, quote, they didn't treat me badly. Elifay agreed, saying, quote, we treated him very nicely. We never mistreated him, and we're going to. I feel like being taken hostage and threatened sure doesn't sound like treating him nicely. No, oh no, I don't no. think so either. I agree. No, but then I think watching things progress in the movie, you maybe get that. Maybe it's a little bit Stockholm syndrome too. So as a result of this police chase, uh, Elifay was sentenced to five years in prison, but she only ended up serving five months before she was released in order to care for her children and her mother. She died of natural causes in 1992 in Livingston, Texas, where she was working as a dietitian at a Holiday Inn, and she was just 44 years old. Wow. Yeah. Well, Officer Crone remained in law enforcement until 1978 when he left to spend more time with his family. Crone actually acted as an advisor for the 1974 film based on his kidnapping, The Sugarland Express, which we will be discussing shortly. And he passed away on February 10th, 2011 at 69 years old. Oh, also wow. a little bit on the younger side. Yeah. And that is that is the story of the couple who inspired the Sugarland Express. It's a little short. I looked all over. I couldn't figure out you know, how Bobby and Ella Faye met. I couldn't find out who her previous husband was. It's interesting that she has a one-year-old child from a previous relationship, but she had been married to Bobby supposedly for you know one year. Yeah. there Wasn't there a line in the movie where I think she's, she mentions like, following for some handsome man or something at one point but they yeah they don't reference yeah and it having, seems like in the movie that it's the son child. is yeah, yeah it's their child together yeah um, which is a little bit different it's one of those stories also a little bit similar to i would say the uh the one we just covered about murder in the first henry young and murder in the first where the movie has almost kind of shaped the narrative around the crime story so a lot of references talked about how she broke him out of prison because that's what she does in the movie but actually he was out on parole um, yeah. for for the real case i saw a lot of references calling her elifay holiday and i couldn't tell if that was her maiden name or if she got married after bobby was killed or if that was her name from the first marriage but then i found the gravestone of that person that said that they died in 1989 so i don't even think it's the same person oh, i don't know it's yeah it's yeah. it's sparse but but a very interesting story and i think that the real story does have a lot of cinematic qualities you can kind of see how maybe just hearing a little bit about it could really spark someone's imagination and by someone i mean steven spielberg yep <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah totally but uh but i do have one discussion point I wanted to ask you, do you think that the punishment fits the crime in this in this case? I mean, Bobby was killed and then Elifay served five months. So they seem kind of on two extreme ends. Uh, what do you think? No. Oh, no. Um, it wasn't like they were on some crazy crime spree. They had not. It yeah, but he was going in there with a gun trained yeah. on an officer right. who was in front of him. I feel like it was pretty justifiable. From their perspective or just in general? I mean, I don't know. It feels justifiable to me. What seems unjustifiable to me is like why they did what they did. They're like, you'll never take me alive. And it's like, you literally did nothing. You were driving with your brights on. <laughs> you were speeding maybe a little bit. Um, it's kind of a, a goofy scenario that got the two of them in this situation. So it's it's not surprising that they were met with such force there at the end. It's probably, I'm sure the, the authorities were extremely frustrated at this point. And they always talk about how dangerous police chases can be, not just for a criminal escaping, but the havoc that is wrought 
by the police cars that are following them. So I think, isn't there like they oftentimes advise just not to have the chase at all? Yeah, often police are very rarely supposed to chase after someone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in this case, they weren't just chasing after someone who was trying to run. It was a moving hostage situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's just so bizarre. I do not know what they were thinking no. when they decided to run off. Also, so apparently when they ran through the woods, the police did bring in like bloodhounds to try to find them. But by the time they called for an officer to come to kidnap and go on an adventure with uh they'd already like called off the search for them after they ran through the woods so it's just man yeah it seems like um it's just Elif- unfortunate yeah yeah well Elo Faye survived and she was able to get sort of a, a, a lightened sentence yeah. so that seems like so you know. average the two out and maybe that's the sentence they deserve <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's what I have. Shall we move over? Yeah, uh, we're gonna shift over to 1974's The Sugarland Express, as we mentioned at the start of the episode, Steven Spielberg's first feature film. So sit tight. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welfare's come and taken baby Langston forever. They're gonna keep him in that foster home. Say, isn't this my shirt? Baby, when I leave today, you're coming with me. I can't. I only got four more months. Lou Jean and Clovis Poplin. Oh, baby, we're in real trouble. Impulsive. Irresponsible. You know it's illegal to turn right in the middle of the highway? Out of control. I'll get in that car. You got kidnapped, and that's fat. But that doesn't mean they don't make wonderful parents. What are you doing with our man in there? He's just taking us to Sugar Lane to get my boy Langston. All that stands between them and their child is their nervous hostage. Don't shoot. That's Captain Tanner. You want to get us all killed? His commanding officer. Now, you take it easy there and think about what you're doing. No one's going to get hurt. Do you hear me? The baby's foster parents. The child board says that the child is ours to keep now. Two reckless troopers from out of state. What's in the road? A trigger-happy pair of weekend warriors. Which one do you want? I like that redhead. And 100 mobilized units from the great state of Texas. I see life, the whole bunch. But even if these forces spell danger for Clovis and Lugene... What about the girl? Down! Get yourself down! She'll be dead before the sound gets in. It's nothing compared to the danger they pose to themselves. Open your eyes! Keep to the right of the truck! They're nothing but a couple of kids. You're my wife, and I love you. Even if we don't get the baby. Goldie Hawn, Ben Johnson, and William Atherton in director Steven Spielberg's feature film debut. It's your baby. Don't let no one take him away from you. The Sugarland Express. And we're back. Lou Jean Poplin attempts to reunite with her husband Clovis to get custody of their son, the baby Langston, by any means necessary, whether it's helping her husband escape from prison or kidnapping a Texas state trooper. After both of these things happen, the three of them lead police on a chase across Texas to save Lou and Clovis's son from adoption. As they flee the police, they win the hearts of fans who are following the story in the news. That's the Sugarland Express. Yeah, and I think straight from the get-go, you can see how different it is from the true crime story. Yeah. But in ways that I think make it, they turn it into a movie. They do, yeah. yeah. And uh, they add a MacGuffin, and there you go. The MacGuffin is Baby Langston. Yep. It's like that's, they're on the pursuit for the baby. Yeah, whereas in the true story, I feel like the baby's kind of an afterthought. Right, yeah. Because yeah. they're like, oh, we can stop. Yeah, because It's like <laughs> hours into the chase. It's like, what do I want? What do I want? Okay, I want to go see the babies. Yeah, yeah. They get to get to see the babies. And uh, we mentioned the MacGuffin, uh, which is a constant in many Spielberg stories. I think that that is kind of the, the great formula for a, a fun movie, really. And this movie is pretty fun. Well, I would say maybe two thirds of it are fun, and the last third is gets a little dark. Yeah, 
I agree. And I think that it's it's very lighthearted, but there's a thread going through it that kind of pays off at the end where they make it seem like it's a fun adventure, especially I think, I mean, their interactions with the trooper Maxwell, you know, they make it a lot of fun and it's easy to forget that, you know, they're criminals who stole a car and took someone hostage. And, you know, even Maxwell seems to forget it. He does. Um, but, yeah. but you as the audience, they, they remind you occasionally and then it, it pays off. Well, it pays off, but in a bad way. It does. Yeah. 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 You know, we're talking about the, the differences. I think the duration of time is one of the big differences as well. So it's like this chase seems to take place over more Multiple than just days, a yes. couple of hours. Right. I think there is there just the one overnight scene in the car lot. Yeah. So yep. it's, it is at least goes overnight. And in the movie, it's sort of an accident that they kidnap the patrolman. It's not deliberate. They don't call the police. They're actually pulled over as he's escaping prison, essentially. Yeah. And they're pulled over for, I think, driving too slowly. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Driving and, uh, too slowly because it's then, the yeah. older couple. Yeah. And then they get chased. They get into an accident. The patrolman responds to the accident. And then that's when they feel like they have no other choice other than kidnapping him versus actually calling him to them, which I just, man, I just can't get over that. Yeah. It's a terrible idea. I'm glad they didn't keep that in the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would have been like, we are not with these with them. Yeah. They do something clever, though, uh, in the movie. Uh, Lou Jean breaks her husband out by wearing two sets of clothes. And then when she gets him alone, she like gives him the set of clothes that she was hiding. And then they can kind of waltz out. Yeah, they I think probably the other big change talking about this movie versus the true story is all of Lou Jean's character, which kudos to Goldie Hawn. Who's yeah. just such a good actress. I really love her. And she's just excellent excellent in this playing this extremely like cheerful bubbly character who's doing some pretty terrible stuff but yeah she masterminds the whole thing you know breaking her husband out and for the purpose say, of going after oh. baby langston yeah 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 and um i just before i forget her husband clovis is played by william atherton uh the only thing i really think of when i think of him is he's walter peck in ghostbusters the one that is dickless that's the evil EPA administration person. Yeah. Yeah. Just like me. All right. <laughs> uh, the 80s was harsh towards the EPA and the what are you, are the teenies, the teens. Yeah. The the 2000 teens are also. I think we're going you know. full, uh, full circle with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Maxwell, the patrolman who is kidnapped, is played by Michael Sachs. As we mentioned, there is a mirror, mirror universe version of the police captain that existed in real life. And in this case, it's Captain Harlan Tanner, played by Ben Johnson, and uh, the baby Langston as... I don't know if that's uh, that's kind of his formal title. The Baby Langston. Yes. <laughs> it's played by Harrison Zanuck, which um, the baby's not in, in the movie a lot, but the baby is kind of upset in every scene. Yes, yes. I think you're maybe meant to think that you know the foster family isn't like perfect and so much better than you know Lugene and Clovis and I think they accomplish that by having the baby look constantly sad and upset and cry a lot well this is one of those movies I think you mentioned a minute ago about the the couples movies and I wonder how this would pair with Bonnie and Clyde what do you think I was thinking the same thing so you know again with these changes that they did to turn just a almost a news blurb into a movie and one thing it felt like they took it straight from Bonnie and Clyde uh, also in a similar vein to Natural Born Killers this idea of public and media interest in it making these people almost like folk heroes there's a scene uh, sort of towards the end of the movie where they're getting out of that Texas countryside now and driving through towns and you know, the news of what they're doing and particularly of their goal to you know go reclaim their child has preceded them in these towns and everyone's waiting with like gifts for them and gifts for the baby and everyone's like cheering them on it's it's pretty bizarre they hand her a little piggy yes they hand her a little piggy but then the little piggy goes potty on her and she hands the piggy back and the the piggy really did pee on her oh really yeah <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's a cute, cute little piggy. Yeah. So you can pair the movies together, pair our episodes together. Our Bonnie and Clyde episode was uh, number 24 from uh, mid-February. Yeah, it's... Uh, Maybe do this one second because it's a little more light, lighthearted and doesn't yeah. end in a hail of gunfire. Just a little, just a smidgen of gunfire. Not yeah. a hail, a smidgen. But yeah, it's, I think the changes that they made, I understand a lot. And I think that, you know, although they did change the character of Lu Jean to participate a lot more 
than Elifay did. It's not like they turned her into like a bad person. I think that, you know, not only does the public kind of fall in love with her, but you as the viewer really do feel empathetic towards her, even if you think it's ridiculous that she thinks she could get away with all this. <laughs> and I, But I think you also see that with Captain Tanner's character. He seems to actually have like a bit of kind of respect for her over the course of it, while simultaneously planning for her and her husband to be killed by snipers when they arrive at the house to pick up the baby. It, yeah, um, it's it's I actually, I really like that about his character, though, because it feels a lot like, you know, he's overcoming emotions to do what needs to be done. That's a good even, point. Even though you're on their side, you can kind of see. I mean, he not only have they kidnapped this police officer, but they are traveling with weapons to a house where a baby is that they, you know, have no really legal claim to anymore. Yeah, um, this is weird. It's the second movie in a row where I've kind of felt great, uh, what's the right word, respect or, or sympathy or something for, like, um, Murder the First, the judge, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not going to like him. He's going to be a terrible judge. And he ended up being kind of a great character. And a similar thing with uh, Captain Tanner, where you would think he would be the one that's the whole movie, like, wants to kill them. And like you said, he that's his end goal. But during the movie, he kind of does some sort of, like, legitimately kind things, I guess. I don't, that's not the right word, but... It's, it's understandable. I think that it's very well constructed, where it's very easy to see everything from all sides. And I also feel like by creating these characters of Lou Jean and Clovis, where you believe that they believe that they're doing the right thing, and that they can get away with it. And it's, it kind of makes you understand them while also knowing just how wrong they are. Oh, yeah. 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 I gotcha. But I mean, it's, it's still sad. The the end. Well, should we spoil the ending now? I mean, it's the same as the story. It is, yeah. Just like in real life, uh, Clovis um, William Atherton does get shot. There's. It's a really tense scene, though, because for a minute, it seems like maybe he's not going to go up to the house. But the snipers are in wait. And yeah. it's... And, well, and, and this he, he knows that the baby's not there. I feel like they all kind of know that, just like they probably knew the entire time that this was a terrible idea that wasn't going to work out. But, you know, it's easy to pretend and have fun and laugh and get all these presents and attention. And then in that moment when there's no one there and it's completely quiet and the house is all dark, you know, he yeah, he gets out to walk up to the house and Lugene is shouting at him to do it. And I think probably even she knows <laughs> at that point. It's yeah, it's a it's a pretty dark ending for a movie that up to that point was for the most part lighthearted. But yeah, but he gets shot, but they don't die there. They He still like drives the actually, car. Actually, yeah. And it almost seems like it was thanks to Patrolman Maxwell who kind of gets Lugene to duck down and gets him back in the car and they they drive away. And there's a definitely a moment between um, Maxwell and Captain Tanner at the end where Maxwell's like, they, they weren't going to hurt me, which is, is maybe true for the real story also. But, you know, you can believe that. You can know it. But when they have a gun and they're holding you hostage... I feel like they've kind of gave law enforcement no other choice, even if it's, you know, sad. And I think that that is very true to the the actual story as well. Yeah. Um, The other kind of tragic thing, I guess, of the movie is that Clovis is actually set to be released in like four months and he would have been free and he wasn't imprisoned in some sort of high security thing. It seemed to be a pretty chill sort of sentence he was serving yeah but i guess the idea was if they waited that long they would have lost the baby yeah that i guess but you can't steal a baby (laughs) (laughs) even if it's your own baby you can't steal your own baby right you just can't steal a baby so never steal a baby it was a bad idea from the beginning but i mean i i really liked the movie i i did yeah Yeah. cool yeah i can't believe it was his first movie also wasn't he like in his 20s he was yeah i think he was like 26 or something like that oh my god yeah and then he made jaws the next year yeah and i'm 30 and i've done nothing (laughs) you've done hey you've done plenty you are amazing (laughs) and i love you hey we have all these episodes of this podcast that's something (laughs) okay so oh there's there's something funny though about this movie so john williams does the score but the theme song sounds like a christmas song it sounds like um uh on the first day of christmas my true love and then it like changes a little changes bit, a little bit. <laughs> but right from when they did that note progression the very first time it's like on a harmonica yeah it's like <laughs> it's yeah i'm sorry if i've now ruined the movie for anyone who goes to watch it after this but you're you're gonna hear it 
I yeah. guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. 12 Days Christmas. Good job, John Williams. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, John Williams. Good thing he never recorded anything else after this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> JK, JK. We love you, John Williams. Long time listener of the show. <laughs> okay. Well, I have a lot of Spielberg stuff we can talk about. I mean, we talked about a lot of his films in our jaws episode so that one was pretty fun if you have not checked that one out you can look back to i think last year um on our i think it was like jaws sharks versus people or something like that yeah yeah it was about the shark attacks in new jersey actually yes very close to my home city cool there are some taglines i pulled up do you want to hear a couple of course all right here's the first one a girl with the great following no it's not every day you take a ride like this no that could be a porn title <laughs> oh. porn tagline based on a real life event which happened in texas in 1969 that's completely meaningless <laughs> sorry the true story of a girl who took on all of texas and almost won is that another porn tagline is that what you're <laughs> i know that's what you're laughing about uh, anyway i do like that one that's yeah. the one that i posted for the teaser tuesday yeah i, I like that one a lot okay yeah. cool Every cop in the state was after her. Everybody else was behind her. That's okay. I like the other one better, though. The story of a girl who took on all of Texas and almost won. Yeah. Although I guess that spoiler alerts the ending, doesn't it? Oh, it does. The almost won part. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they could have kept that out. Would it still work? I guess my issue with the every cop in the state was after her and everyone else was behind her. It's like behind her and after her feel like they're the same thing yeah that's I don't true know. i think they wanted like the cops to be the antagonist and yeah then everyone else was Behind being supportive and yeah. Being, I, don't know. yeah i don't know nah. i guess I, my mind is too spatial and like behind after synonym yeah we probably talked about it more than the marketing team talked about it when they they made <laughs> the headline so i do want to read uh pauline keel's review from the march 18th 1974 issue of the new yorker because this being spielberg's first work and a great film reviewer as uh, pauline keel there's a lot of really good stuff in this one so she says quote the director steven spielberg is 26 i can't tell if he has any mind or even a strong personality but then a lot of good movie makers have got by without being profound. He isn't saying anything special in the Sugarland Express, but he has a knack for bringing out young actors and a sense of composition and movement that almost any director might envy. Composition seems to come naturally to him, as it does to some of the young Italians. Spielberg uses his gift in a very free and easy American way, for humor and for a physical response to action. He could be that rarity among directors, a born entertainer, perhaps a new generation's Howard Hawks. In terms of the pleasure that technical assurance gives an audience, this film is one of the most phenomenal debut films in the history of movies. If there is such a thing as a movie sense, and I think there is, I know fruit vendors and cab drivers who have it, and some movie critics who don't, Spielberg really has it. But he may be so full of it that he doesn't have much else. There's no sign of the emergence of a new film artist such as Martin Scorsese in the Sugarland Express, but it marks the debut of a new style, new generation Hollywood hand. That is fascinating. Wow, it's so interesting hearing that now with kind of the place that Steven Spielberg has and like the public consciousness and movie history. But it's also interesting because I think that she does kind of touch upon like his knack for creating these blockbuster films that are maybe a little bit more about entertaining versus being an art form. Although I think that, I mean, I think he does it all <laughs> really. Yeah. But but I do think he's he is very good at entertaining. It's interesting because, yeah, I, I feel like she's sort of maybe like we aren't seeing who Spielberg is as a person, but we're seeing who he is as a technician and, and as an artist. Yeah. yeah, that interesting like yeah. dynamic. Yeah. Well, and she does bring up the composition, which I think, you know, this movie, I was watching this knowing this is Steven Spielberg's debut film. And I was like, wow, like that's a really beautiful shot that's pretty nuts that this is his first film and it's it looks amazing it yeah. looks great and i think you know, it is maybe helped by its setting it's so unique this like flat countryside with like you know these little kind of pop-up areas there's like the fried chicken place they stop at and some of these gas stations it's it's very interesting i think to to look at and to see but yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought it was really 
pretty, pretty cool. Um, he has an interesting little, little like weird, quirky flourish in the film, and that's of the two state patrolmen who are in, I believe it's Louisiana, so it's a neighboring state. And they're so oddball. It doesn't feel out of place, but it feels of kind of whimsical. And they've got these like super souped up cop cars, and they're determined, I guess, if you know they make their way across the state line, that they're going to be ready. And then it, it leads to... But uh, then they end up just going. Like, they're like, yeah. oh, how fast can these cars go? <laughs> Let's, like, go try to head them off. And then, of course, they go and they cause a huge pileup of cars that helps uh, Lugene and Clovis get, like, a little bit ahead of, of the police. Uh, it's just... It, that touch does feel like something that you see in some of his movies. It's like a weird, like, humor, like, a situational humor yeah. that I think comes up a few times. Sometimes good, sometimes yeah. But <laughs> but yeah, it's man, it for a debut for someone who is twenty six, it's remarkable. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. quite quite the accomplishment. So one of the the neat things about Spielberg is um over the years he's done he's ended up with a ton of movies based on true stories. So not all true crimes. This is one case i think there's a few we we could even pull for future episodes but i just have a couple listed here um off the top of my head so a few are kind of more loosely inspired by but the other ones are sort of historic uh pictures so the color purple was inspired by true events and also empire of the sun those are his uh, early films but then starting with schindler's list he really has a ton of them. So he has that. He has Amistad and Saving Private Ryan and Catch Me If You Can. The Terminal, which from what I could see is very loosely based off a, a situation where someone was stuck at an airport and kind of similar things to, I guess, what Tom Hanks did in that movie. But eh. I did not like that movie. I haven't seen it. Um, really? Yeah. I don't know how. I think I've seen it like at least three times. Really, it's just popping up. We watched parts of it at your parents' house. You're not there? No, it's oh. probably done something else. Oh. <laughs> uh, Munich, War Horse. And I know that was based off of a play, a stage play originally, but yeah. it's horses in, in the war. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Listen to our new podcast based on a true horse in a war. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Lincoln and Bridge of Spies and then The Post. So a bunch of them. Yes. Really. I absolutely want to do Catch Me If You Can soon because I... I'm ready for a little break from murder. We've got a few more murder stories lined up. But. Oh, yeah. It's so quirky and fun. It's, it's, yeah, I love it. I think it's the first movie I saw where I was like, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio is actually very talented. He's not just a cutie because I used to have a big crush on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's cool. I, it's really fun. Christopher Walken's great in it, too. Christopher Walken. I'm not going to try it. Never mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we thought I thought it'd be fun if we could do some favorites and least favorite Spielberg uh, movies just real quick since we are on the topic of his movies yes and we have a treat for you guys so i have a least favorite spielberg movie and i made david try to guess it so he's written it inside of an envelope that i have right now so uh when it's my turn i'm going to say what my least favorite movie is and then we'll see if, if david got it right but first i want to know what your least favorite movie is my least favorite movie of his is jurassic park 2 I was really disappointed when I saw it, and it it's the the follow up to such an amazing movie. I mean, Jurassic Park is just so good yes. uh, that the the sequel is not good. Yes, I absolutely agree, but it's not my least favorite. All right, should we do this? Yeah, let's open okay. up the envelope and see if I got it right. Let's see. Moment of truth. Yep, you got it right. <laughs> my least favorite is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's. Aha just terrible uh, i went to see it i believe it was a midnight screening if not just like a opening day screening with my family and i'm i'm a big indiana jones fan because i love raiders of the lost ark so much not necessarily the other two and crystal skull i don't think i've ever been so disappointed or angry after seeing a movie oh yeah so, whew, so sorry to any fans of crystal skull but there might be one or two there there might be a few right on but man man that movie made me want to punch him in his crystal skull <laughs> what about favorite steven spielberg movie oh oh i was gonna say though my runner-up guess was gonna be ai no, I actually the that Jurassic Park sequel. I think I hated more than AI. Oh, although okay. I really didn't like AI. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I could at least. I feel like there are movies that are just not my personal taste, and then there are movies that I truly believe are bad movies, and I'm aware of the difference. So I know a lot of people do like AI. That's more of a personal taste uh, issue for me. All right. Cool. But yeah, what's your favorite? What's your favorite? What's your favorite? Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
You're really going with Raiders of the Lost Ark. I am, yeah. Jaws. No, I'm That's going fine. With I'm going with Jurassic Park. So. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Okay. But I think that that's also a personal taste thing. I just, I watched Jurassic Park at just the right age where it's just, oh my God, dinosaurs and Sam Neill. Just love that movie. Well, you know, Harrison Ford was approached to be, play Alan Grant. No. <laughs> no. Sam Neill. No, no. No one yeah. else. <laughs> Yeah, I read that somewhere and I was like, I had no idea at the time that any of that was going down or was a possibility, but I, apparently they talked about it briefly or something. I'm so glad they didn't go with that. I feel like it just would have been another Harrison Ford movie if they did that. Yeah, he would have overshadowed it, I think. Yeah. yeah. I Jurassic mean, Park is perfect. It is an absolutely perfect movie. Do you know if you've seen Raiders of Jurassic Park more? I feel like I might have seen Jurassic Park more in my youth, but I've seen Raiders more recently. It's been a while since I've seen Jurassic Park. We watched it together once. Yeah. Um, cool. No, yeah, yeah this is great. This is good. Yeah. Let fun. us know what your favorite Steven Spielberg movie is. Also, let us know what your least favorite Steven Spielberg movie yeah, is. Yeah, I'd be really there. curious yeah. to see. He has so many movies and, you know. And they really span. Like, he's got so many really good movies, but he also has quite a few stinkers. Yeah, like 1941. <laughs> awesome um well yeah no well uh, i think spielberg's great and uh this is a really fun movie I, neither of us had seen it despite the the fact that it came from a great director i didn't expect it to be as good as it was so great debut yes congratulations steven spielberg longtime listener of the show <laughs> oh that would be amazing i can't even do that one without laughing <laughs> all right um i th- i have really one good trivia thing that i wanted to mention and it's really obscure but it really ties in to several things about this podcast and that is you know you mentioned the overnight scene where they're staying in the car lot and they get into like a camper winnebago or whatever and they're watching the drive-in show and it's a double feature so the second movie is like a wiley coyote roadrunner thing the first feature is 1973's the snake movie yes i have stories about that movie Uh, when i was in college i went to a sci-fi fantasy convention on my own i couldn't convince any of my friends to go with me but i got to meet leonard nimoy so jokes on them but there's an actress there who she was the lead girl in and i got her autograph from my dad who's you know the og horror fan uh yes yeah he's pretty excited about that but then i think i stole the dvd because I was going to make you watch it because you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's it's in our library. Yeah, yeah. we got to watch that. <laughs> yeah, we got to watch it. i got to give it. that back to my dad. I know, I know. I totally want to see it. Maybe it's it'll be actually, my... it's, I really liked it. I I watched it with my dad after I uh, brought him the, the DVD. And it's it's good. It's freaky. It's, man, talk about body horror. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. So, yeah, overall, I think this was a, a good one, kind of inspired by a, a nugget of the true crime, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that it's really interesting to me kind of jumping between these movies. I mean, this was kind of the idea of the podcast is you know, not everything is going to be a serial killer or a weird murder, but just these little nuggets of truth that inspired um, amazing filmmakers like Steven Spielberg to uh, to run with it. And I know I've read online he was really excited to get Goldie Hawn on board for this. So. Yeah, she's yeah. great. So good. She's so good. Yeah. yeah. And I guess she was like a big deal already at the time which that's going to tie into my coming soon so why don't we get to that oh all right cool yeah so um do you have a now playing i'm gonna go with infinity war why not we just saw it we saw it thursday night and if you're into marvel i think that it, it delivered on what it promised and i can't believe i have to wait a year to find out how this is going to be concluded but good job they they pulled it off i was a little bit skeptical going in and i think they really pulled it off yeah but i'm not gonna say any spoilers because <laughs> we we only spoiled the uh movie and the the title of our podcast i would not spoil infinity war for anyone no especially yeah. after uh superman died in it <laughs> oh poor superman oh r.i.p oh oh wait that's the wrong uh comic book studio yeah never mind what about you did i talk about the last episode that, that i finally f- finished dr sleep i don't think you did yeah i finally finished uh stephen king's dr sleep the sequel to the shining and uh, i loved it it was really good i for some reason it took me so long to read though i don't know it was 
not not for any particular reason other than time management. But over that period of time, I had seen things slip through in reviews that were some people didn't like it. But I've I also know a lot of people that really did like it, and I loved it. It was really good. So uh, that is The Shining. Down finished that back in January and finished Doctor Sleep in April. So it was good reading them both for the first time within a couple of months of each other. Uh, that I thought they really worked well together. But this isn't so much of an outplaying as a, we just finished it, but the Lost in Space uh, reboot on Netflix. Yes, we've uh, we've delivered on that promise. I remember when you were talking about that as your coming soon, and you said uh, that you just want to sit down and binge it all. And we watched it all within like a week. So yeah, it probably helps that we were going through all of the boxes in our basement and we needed the distractions. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I liked it. I thought that 10 episodes may have been a little bit too much. As a fan of the the TV, sh- the original TV show and not so much the movie, but this is really good. It's really a big budget. I do think it's a, just a little bit slow. We were talking about how moments towards the end felt like it would have been nice if that had happened within the first three or four episodes and then you had had more adventurous stuff, but it was good. Yeah, I agree it was a little slow, but I, I came to care about all the characters and I think the important thing for following that TV show is caring about the characters because if you don't, it's going to be torture. Yeah. 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 So a lot of like family, warm, tingly feelings, that kind of stuff. But yeah. Yeah. Um, For coming soon, you mentioned Goldie Hawn. So I have a feeling I know what your title is going to be. Yeah. It's the Overboard remake. I'm really excited. I, I feel like that movie is more than a little bit problematic, but it works so well because it's, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, who are a real-life couple for many, many years and are just absolutely adorable and have such amazing chemistry. Um, But the remake, it's gender-swapped, and it's starring Anna Faris, who I love, who also has a podcast. (laughs) Um, And I just, I can't wait. And I, I would hope that it's, you know, being made nowadays i think that hopefully they'll fix the little problematic bits and just have it be fun and funny and then you know, maybe maybe a little bit of romance why not and make david go see it with me he has to he married me he signed <laughs> yeah. up for this yep yeah. yeah yep that's true yeah what about you what's your coming soon um moving yeah we're moving that's that's the thing that's the thing that we're doing by the time some of you listen to this we may have been moved already but yeah uh, I mean, we're this episode will be out, so we we will be packing. But um, yeah. that's that. Join our cult for more information. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I I want to plan a Frank Hennenlauter night when we get all settled in at the new place. Uh, that would be um maybe a a triple feature of Basket Case, Brain Damage, and Frankenhooker, <laughs> because we have them all now on in our library. That'd be fun. Get some '80s uh Hennenlauter horror. All right, I'm down. Why not? Uh, and also Solo, the Han Solo movie. I'm excited about that. I'm really, I'm actually pretty excited. I mean, I don't have a ton of emotions wrapped up into it, but I love Star Wars, and this looks good. It does. I was not sold on the first trailer, but the second trailer got me all excited, especially seeing it on the big screen before Infinity Wars. I think it might be a lot of fun, and who knows? It could be its own little mini franchise. I'm very excited for Lando. Yeah. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah. Donald Glover looks awesome as Lando. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh that's what I have ahead. We we have going on. Hopefully, watching movies when we have a, some spare time. Yep. Um. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Uh. Please. Uh. What? Well, I guess really whatever method of podcatcher you're using to listen to the show, keep on listening. Yeah. Uh, I think we have most of our hosting slash technical issues figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll have more news on what's the deal with all of this switching in a few weeks. And we'll be back in three weeks. Was it the week of the 21st? So that's our one year podcasting anniversary. And we'll have a little something special for you guys. Um, you know, with, well, I could just say we're going to have a, a Q&A also out that week. So if you have questions for us, you could email us based on a true crime at gmail.com. Comment on pretty much anything that we post on social media. But the best way to reach us basically immediately is join our cult and post anything there. Comment on anything there. I'll have a post going with, you know, for people to, to add their questions. Yep. So cool. Yeah. Um, and other than the cult, you can find our website. It's based on true crime.com Instagram at based on true crime, Twitter at true crime based. And we do have a Facebook page, which is based on true crime podcast, which you can find the link to joining the cult from there. If you'd like to see my art, look me up anywhere, but I'd love it. If you join me on Instagram at lab creature, our podcast theme and supporting music was composed 
composed and performed by Nico Vatis of We Talk of Dreams. And if you want to seek him out, uh, you can find him on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams and the same handle on Instagram and the website wetalkofdreams.com. Yes. So stay tuned for promos from Mens Rea and Dark Poutine. And speaking of, wow, dark, just remember death is but a door. And time is but a window. We'll be back. Mens rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally, the guilty mind. The Mens Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK, and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts... Head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today. Have you been bludgeoned to death with Ted Bundy stories? Are you choking on too many Hillside Strangler podcast episodes? As awesome as those are, cleanse your palate and add something new to your true crime diet. Why not try some Dark Poutine, a podcast from north of the 49th parallel? We cover Canadian crimes and dark histories. Some of the stories you may know nothing about, but they beg to be told. And, with Canada being the biggest, small country on the planet, we even have personal connections to some of the crimes and history we chat about. Join two real live Canadians every week as we serve up another helping of Dark Poutine. We are substantially creepy sometimes meaty, always cheesy, but very rarely sorry. So come on up north and fill your ears with some dark poutine. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.